0: Alright, I've really enjoyed this series that we've, we've done, we're concluding it today, but um, I started off, what, five weeks ago, and talked about uh, grace is, and fill in the blank. There's obviously many words you could put in there, and because grace is so multifaceted, so big, uh, it's really the finished work of Jesus, and grace reveals all that, so uh, it's, a, it's a big, well, it's everything. And I, we started, I thought, well, grace is scandalous. This was my topic. And um, it is scandalous to our flesh, it's scandalous to our minds, our human frame. It, it all, it all, Martin Lloyd Jones, who was a preacher, teacher, writer in the early uh, 20th century, he said, when you preach grace, unless your conscience accuses you of license, you haven't preached grace. That your own human conscience, your human flesh, soul, it seems licentious. It it seems like it goes too far. It seems like it lets people off the hook. It seems like that's the way it feels. And it really, I, I tell people, if you don't feel that to some extent, you're not getting grace. Not not all of it. I had a lady in Oklahoma one time come up to me in the church. And I, I was preaching this series about Grace and about the new covenant. I remember that and all that. And she comes up to me after church one day, just sort of excited and sorta of weird both. She said, I think I think I'm I think I'm getting what you're talking about. I think I'm getting but but I'm feeling guilty about it. I say, Yeah, you're getting it. Yeah. That's kind of the way it makes you feel. So Grace is scandalous. Matt follows that up with Grace's scandalous err, because Matt makes up words. but as he talked about his own journey in it it was very interesting to me that everyone's journey is different but he he comes at it from a perspective of saying hey they're going to lay out all this stuff for me to do and perform I'm going to do my best and I'm going to do it because I'm better than other people and I can do it other people can't but I can sort of he ended up realizing no I'm just as big a failure grad as everyone else has been And then Rick talked about grace. as gracious or graceful? Both both those things. And it certainly is. And lastly, grace is truth. The truth is the reality. Is, that's what truth translated truth. The word means real or reality. Things as they really are. Things as they really are reveal that God is full of grace. Now today I want to just do the topic. Grace is logical. Uh, one day, one evening, back in our little conference room that we have, our elders were meeting, and there was, I don't know, 12 of us, 12 or so of us in, in the room or more. And we often, we, we, we met often, for one thing, and when we met, we talked about grace. For, for a good while, it was me talking to everyone about grace, by and large. And then all of a sudden, they all started talking about it themselves back and forth. And I knew my job was done. My work was complete. They're, com- they're, they're saying things that just uh, were wonderful. And Martha, my wife Martha, if you don't know her, she, she said that night something that stuck in my mind and just rang so true to me. She said, I know what it is. Grace is logical. And I said, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Why didn't I think of this? This is what I've been trying to form in my mind most all my life. That there's so much illogical nonsense in religion. In the Christian religion, really. There's just so much that doesn't make sense to me. And for years I thought that about various things. And I think, well... You know, there's a little bit of explanation of this, but by and large, you know, it just sounds pretty much like nonsense to me. Now, here's here's what I'm saying. Grace is logical. Think about this a minute. The law is logical. you agree with that? I mean, it's uh, without man touching it and adding things to it and all that as as the scribes and Pharisees did, but left to its own devices, it's very logical. Do this your blessed, do this your cursed, you know, that sort of thing. It's logical. That's the reason our flesh goes towards it, for one thing. We want to self-justify. We want to have some hand in our justification. So if I can do better than everyone else at the list, at the things, at the performance, if I can do better than everyone else, I can feel better about myself, by and large. And all of us were genuine in our commitment to God, our heart toward God. We want to do well. We want to be a good son or daughter of God. We want to honor Him and glorify Him. That's what's in our heart. But we find ourselves on this treadmill of inability to do it to our own satisfaction. So, grace is, uh, law is logical. Let me tell you something else. Grace is logical. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let me tell you where illogic comes in. When you bring law and grace together, when you mix them, then all you've got is a big steaming pile of nonsense. (laughs) I hate nonsense. I don't like nonsense. Nonsense gives me the creeps. I, can't, I, I don't like it if it doesn't make sense. And mixture doesn't make sense. That's where you get all sorts of what uh, stuff that's just hard to wrap your mind around. You're jerked around and tossed around, and it just doesn't make sense. Nonsense. Let me just give you a, a few little illustrations of that, and then I'm gonna be done and we're gonna have some teaching on a little bit on communion and take it together. Did you know that there's over forty thousand denominations in the Christian world? denominations and different teachings and different personalities. And, uh, but all of them essentially at some measure divided because of their stance on certain issues and doctrinal stances and theological issues and all of that. So <clears throat> what you have in that is you have built-in division, number one. I mean, there, we, denominations, and I'd, I'd been in denominations before. You try to get along, but you really don't. You try to fellowship, but you really don't. You don't really, really trust each other. There's confusion. There's division. Many times there's antagonism. And that's what the church world is like, with mixture reigning in its teaching and understanding. Um just a couple of couple of things. Let's take the issue of forgiveness of sin, for example. Uh, a part of my own testimony of understanding grace is first John 1 9. When I when I saw that, it, it changed my life. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Law, mixture, reads that like this. If we confess, he will forgive. But you've got to keep on confessing and keep on being forgiven. Don't tell me that's not what is taught. It is. Now, the Baptists have a, have a twist on that that I'm acquainted with. Is that, yes, you confess your sins and then you're saved. And that settles your relationship with God. But you got to keep on confessing your sins in order to be forgiven even after you're saved or your fellowship with God is damaged. You've got you to keep short sin accounts with God. I've heard that before, haven't you? Keep short sin accounts. Don't let your sin build up without confessing it and taking care of it and repenting of it and feeling bad about it and on and on. Their, their process of getting you back to... You know where you ought to be. I thought about that for years. I, did, I didn't teach that, but I thought about it for years. And in some ways, I was governed by that. I wanted to keep short accounts with God, I wanted to be open and be confess, confessing my sins and so forth. There's so much wrong with that, it's not hard to know where to start. First of all, it's not logical. It's not logical. If you confessed your sins and he was faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, what else is there left to do? That's what I thought. It doesn't seem like there ought to be anything left to do in that whole genre of of living, genre of relating to God. It shouldn't be anything left to do. It says he forgave us of our sins. Which ones? I thought all, all of them because if all of them haven't been forgiven, then I'm not righteous, and I'm not righteous. I'm not in relationship with God or in union with God because if I'm unrighteous, I can't be in union with the righteous God. That that's makes sense to me. But the idea that you have to keep on confessing in order to get God to forgive you just didn't make any sense. What if I forgot one? Really? Or what if I didn't know? Do you understand? There's so many old Old Testament laws that even Jewish people don't know them all. They can't keep them all. If they don't know them all, so they're not keeping all of those. They never have them. They never will. I never have, and I never will. So it doesn't make sense to me that you can in, inadvertently, or and then there are people would say, "Well, it doesn't really mean that. It means do your best." <laughs> well, no, not really it's not logical see what I mean it never made sense to me when it burst into my heart and really the first thing that utterly absolutely left me on the floor with my mouth open saying oh my God is I realized simply that I will never ever ever have a sin that hasn't been forgiven but he didn't stop there see that makes sense to me I'm forgiven forever or I'm not forgiven at all. And it seemed to me like at that time, you know, Jesus did all this work and then I got all this work to do too. Well, I don't have the capacity to do all the work. He knew I didn't. That's why he did it all. See, that was the kind of logical thing that I was thinking. And then the end of that verse, it says it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Whoa, how much unrighteousness is still there if he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. How much is left? Well, none at the moment. But tomorrow there will be. <laughs> See, you're back on that treadmill again. And that's essentially the way they use that verse. It is, I, I don't I don't mean that it's on purpose or anything like that. Or or, or trying to hurt anyone. I don't, I don't, I don't mean that. But to, but to teach you that you're righteous because of what Jesus did and then you're unrighteous because of what you did, seems like I'm as powerful as he is. Right? I can undo What was divinely done and given to me? I can humanly undo what was divinely done. No. God's smarter than that for one thing. He's not going to leave anything up to me or you. Because he knows me or you. And he knows we do not have the capacity to live out the standards. You understand that, right? So, he says he cleansed us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't stop there. He also Gave us his righteousness. Imputed his righteousness into us. So I thought, wow. That means my righteousness isn't mine, it's his. Therefore, I don't have to maintain his righteousness. He maintains his righteousness, I don't. See what I mean? That made sense to me. Logical to me. And he says, cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And I, I heard this, you know, taught. And that the blood of Jesus covers you, covers your sin, covers you. So when God looks at you, he's looking through the veil of the blood of Jesus. And he doesn't really see you, but he sees Christ in you. That was the, lot, the way they got around what I just said a moment ago about being righteous. He doesn't see you. He sees through the blood of Jesus. He sees Jesus in you. And you look holy with his blood filtering you. But if you take that away and if God sees you, really sees you without the blood covering you, You're toast. You have no hope, no chance. But here's the reality of things. The blood of Christ didn't cover us. doesn't cover us. The blood of Jesus did what, according to 1 John 1, 9, and other verses? Cleansed us. Cleansed us. Cleansed us of all sin. Cleansed. That means, though our sins were scarlet, They are now white as snow. Though they were crimson, they appear as wool or white wool. He cleansed us. I'm clean. Whether I feel clean or not is beside the point, really. I am, from God's perspective. God did something that I could not do, and he did something that I could not maintain, too. He did it all. So, that's logical to me. It makes sense to me, and it does many other things that I don't have time to get into. It leaves you with a God that's really, really, really big, and it leaves you with a God that's really, really full of love, and it leaves you with a heart that so loves him and is impressed with him and wants to discover his greatness for the rest of my life. I want to find out more and more of his great grace and kindness and mercy and love because it's endless and it's never ending, and I want to know more about it. That's what it leaves me with. Grace took me to a place that I'd always wanted to be. I wanted to have an intimate relationship with God. I wanted to be honest with God. I wanted to be open with God. I wanted to have a friend I could talk to. I wanted to have a God I trusted. I wanted to have a God I wasn't afraid of. I wanted to have a relationship with God that left me somewhat breathless every time I thought about it. And that's what I have. That's what I discovered he's like. So it's life changing, it's logical. You take mixture out of grace and it just makes a whole lot of profound sense. So forgiveness of sins would be one, another would be the whole area of eternal security, that's the title or the the label that I'm looking for there, eternal security. Many denominational systems say you can get saved and then lose your salvation if you do you know if, if you're bad enough, you, you can lose it? You don't have to be very bad to lose it in some cases, but you get it and then you can lose it. Hmm. I, rem- I mean, <laughs> I remember when I first ran up against that with a long time ago in certain denominational systems. You think, well, now let's see logically, if somebody prays a prayer and gets born again and so forth. Uh, the kindest thing you could ever do to them would take out a gun and blow them away right on the spot. It's logical. Wouldn't you rather go to heaven than risk losing heaven? I would. Just kill me. At least I go to heaven. Now, I don't think this is intentional, but that is a tactic of fear. It's a tactic to manage, help you manage your sin. And what they don't realize is there's not any sin there that hasn't been cleansed to start with. He wants you to manage your behavior, manage your sin. That's what really, fundamentally, all that mixture tells you to do is help you manage your sin and help you understand that you need to do what I want you to do. I, I, I don't do it very well, but I want you to do it real well. That might be a little harsh. I don't mean to be. That's the way it felt. Eternal security. See, anyone that sees things like that has a very, very low view of what happened when they were born again or when they were saved, when they came to believe. A very low view of that. Do you understand what happened to you when, when... Do you understand that your body became the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand that you're a new creation in Christ? That you're brand new? All things are new? Old things are passed away? It's brand new? Everything's new and it's going to stay new for the rest of your life. rest of eternity. Do you understand that you were adopted into the family of God, that you're a son of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ, you're seated together with Christ in heavenly places already at the right hand of God, that all of these things are already accomplished for you? Do you understand that? Did you understand it then? Do you understand it now? Do you understand that you came into union with God? I'm in you, you're in me, and I'm in him. That's what Jesus said. It's magnificent what happened to you. It's magnificent what God accomplished in those, in that time frame when you believed. He had already accomplished it. You just came aware of it and received it for yourself. That's a whole lot bigger than getting to go to heaven and then sinning and not getting to go to heaven and getting to go to heaven again and then not getting to go to heaven the next day and... Getting to go to heaven the next day, but not the next day. And all this stuff is just a fear tactic to keep people in line. That's all it is. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. What good is it? What good does it do? How does that add to your spiritual life and cause you to come to a place where you're, you have an intimate, emotional Always seems like relationship with a loving father. What has that got to do with anything? It's illogical. Jesus said this in John 10. He said, "My sheep hear my voice, And they follow me. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are about to stone him for claiming that he was God, okay? And he said, you, you, if you don't believe me for my word's sake, believe me for my work's sake. The, the works that have been done in your presence, that really testifies to the fact that, you know, God and I are one. And, they said, well, and he said, you don't believe, you don't believe it, because you're not of my sheep, you're not of my fold. But he said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. Eternal life means eternal life, right? If it's if it's eternal for two years and then I blow it and it's not eternal anymore, then it wasn't eternal, <laughs> right? No. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I thought, sweet. (laughs) Yes, that's logical to me. That God is able to hold on what he divinely gave. Hold on to what he divinely gave. What he divinely performed, he is able to continue to perform because it's already been performed. You're okay. You're safe in him. He won't let you go. You think you could run away from God? Oh, come on. Where are you gonna go? Where are you going? Well, I just gonna, well, he just won't let you do that. He just keeps on pursuing you. You can't get away from God. It's logical. He's able to keep that which he performed. Makes sense to me. All right, here's another real quick one. Interpreting Scripture started making sense to me when I saw grace. How you interpret scripture correctly and properly. How you properly divide the word of truth. The word of God. How you divide it. It's divided. You have to divide it. I said this many times. I don't need to repeat it much to you. I know that. You must interpret scripture from the lens of the new covenant. You're a new covenant individual. You're, in, you're part of the new covenant. Not the old. The old has passed away. Matter of fact. Do you understand? The old never was for you to start with. The law never did apply to you. Never did. Never did have jurisdiction over you. You're a Gentile. Most of you are. Or were. You're not anymore. You're a child of God now. But it never did apply to you. Who did apply to? His people, the Jewish people. Israel. So you've never been under the law to start with. You've been under laws, but not the Old Covenant law. You've never been under the jurisdiction of the Old Covenant law. Whatever the law says, it is not saying it to you. Actually, not saying it to the Jews either anymore because the Old Covenant is done away with. It's passed away. There's a new one in place. Even Jews are really under the jurisdiction of the New Covenant, not the Old. Because it's the only covenant that still exists. It's the New. makes sense to me. Enables me to interpret scripture in a way that I wasn't able to before. Only in bits and pieces and spurts and all of this. Do do you understand, for for instance, let me give you an instance. Under the law, God's glory was veiled to them. You understand it? It was veiled. Moses went up on the mountain. You remember? Show me your glory. God's goodness passed by him. You remember? The glory of God was even upon the countenance of Moses. So he had to put a veil on when he went down from the mountain in order for the pe- so the people couldn't see the glory. Even when it began to fade, he kept the, gl- the, the, the veil on so they couldn't see what was reflected in his own countenance. It was veiled. God's glory was veiled to them. Therefore, since that's true, they didn't see God as we saw God. We saw Jesus, and when you see Jesus, you see God. So they, they didn't have that advantage, you understand? They didn't have the, the incarnation to look at, they didn't to, to interact with, and so forth. They didn't have that. So they come up with all kinds of images of God out of their own making. They really don't have a choice. From the, from the uh, evidence I have, this is the kind of God I guess He is. But we know he's not like that. Why? Because we see Jesus. The word reveals Christ. All of it reveals Jesus. It reveals him. And when you see him, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am, he is the exact representation of the Father, even in his uh, um, personality. He's exactly like God because he is God. Don't look anywhere else. So never allow the Old Testament covenant to influence your interpretation or understanding of who God is. It's looking in the wrong place. Don't allow anything pre-New Covenant, which was signed, sealed, delivered, and given to us at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Before that, you're not going to get a clear understanding of who God was unless you see it through the news. Even in Jesus' own teachings, you won't. Look at the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. He said lots of stuff in there. I'm not saying any of it's bad. It's not. It's good. I know exactly what he was doing. He's raising the standard for the Jews, to, for them to understand that really the old covenant is not adequate. I'm going to show you something new. You couldn't keep it anyway, so he just kept raising the stakes and raising the bar for them, even in the Sermon on the Mount. I saying, you may think you're doing fine, but you really aren't. You really aren't. So when he says things like, you know, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Okay. All right. All the rest of the stuff Jesus said is literal, but this is allegorical. Ah. You don't want your hand cut off, right? Nope. Okay. That's allegorical. It's, it's as serious as that. I mean, that's not, not literal but you take a lot of the rest of it literally and apply it literally so let's apply it literally is that what he said? under the law yeah yeah but we don't believe that we don't believe you should cut your hand off if your hand offends you pluck your eye out if your eye offends you it's not logical doesn't make sense so, the interpretation of Scripture is a very important part of my understanding of grace, and it makes sense. I can interpret the old. I find Jesus in the old. I see patterns in the old. The old is the new concealed. The new is the old revealed. The new reveals the old for what it was, what it was meant to be. Does that make sense to you? Um, So, what kind of God do you worship? What kind of God do we know? George MacDonald said this. He said, many a good saint will one day be horrified of the things they thought of God. I believe that's true. Many a good saint will one day be horrified at the things they thought of God. Grace is logical, folks. It makes sense. Okay. Joey Chase is, first, he, first he, he's one of my son in laws, okay? Joey and Wendy, she was the one singing on this side. Abby was the one on this side today. But, uh, Joey's taught classes here. He's been involved in the church from the very beginning. All of us have from the very beginning of the church. uh, So forth and so on. And in the last while, the Lord's been speaking to Joey about communion. In the season of time that we're all living in. The difficulties of the times we live in. Uh, Joey's an elder. He's also on our board. And he's a great guy. So I want you to come, Joey, and teach us some things about what you've seen about communion. And then we're going to take communion together and celebrate our union with Christ and what his body and his blood
1: has done for us. Thanks, Clark. Yep. Hello, everyone. Greetings to everyone on live stream. Uh, yeah, this was something that was interesting. About two years ago, I started praying about communion because I, I wasn't... Uh, I felt like I wasn't really absorbing the fullness of it. You know, it's not that I didn't have a massive appreciation for what Jesus did. Of course, that's everything. But there was just more to it. I felt like there was more to it. And he didn't really, I didn't really hear from him much until about four months ago. And and he sort of answered questions I had about it. Um, and, And he did that in the context of other prayers I had that have to do with kind of where we are in time now. And um, one thing I will say is that when I think about communion, I think, I don't just think about the past. I actually think a lot about the future, and I feel really optimistic. And um, I think that, you know, it's funny because when I started praying about this, it was kind of like opening up an onion, you know, and, and, and there's all these layers. But the difference is that the layers get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it started to see things differently. And one of my favorite things that Jesus said was, he said, you know, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Enjoy the good news, essentially, is what he said. right? Enjoy the gospel. And the reason I liked that so much is because it's just, it, it, what he's saying there is he's saying, change the way you process information. Change the way you think. Because if you don't, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. You're going to think a kingdom is just rock and stone and walls. Um, if you do process the way, if you start to change how you think, you're gonna look forward to this because there's a lot of good news. So I started doing this in, in the context of how I was praying about communion. And so I just wanna take about 10 minutes here, share this with you and then we'll do communion. Um, I have my, my son Clark is over here and I took them out for dinner actually on Friday night and I was talking to them about some things that had happened to me when I was younger in the business world. Uh, and miracles that God had done for me, where I just had to kind of throw a Hail Mary and just, you know, it was like, (laughs) I was just about to get destroyed financially, Uh, and some of the ways he saved me, and it was interesting because I tied it into the context of where we are right now in our culture, and I saw it in their eyes. I could just tell, they were like, you know what, Dad? We're confident, like, we feel good. Like, my kids are not naive about where we are, But they're not not naive at all, yet they're still totally optimistic about their future. My boys are completely optimistic about their future. So how does this tie into communion? That's what I want to explain. I think, as I've been processing this, I think the primary reason, I, I never asked the question, why does he want us to remember? Why does he want us to do this in remembrance of him? And I never asked the question because I felt like it was too obvious. The answer was too obvious. But I think the primary reason, the apex reason why he wants to do it, sort of the Everest of reasons, is so that we understand not just how we're empowered to live a life of eternity, but so that we understand how we're empowered to extend grace. I think it's so much about extending grace. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of context on that. Personally, I've been really, uh, I usually love people. I'm a a people-loving person for the most part. But this season, the last year and a half, the last two years, and I'm sure everyone in this room, if I asked you to raise your hand, if your life has been turned around 180 degrees, I imagine everyone would raise their hand. In fact, there are probably few people in the world that wouldn't raise their hand at that at that question. And I feel like everyone here knows the pressure that's out there and the tension that's out there. And it's affected me. And I've, I've allowed it to affect me more than I, I wanted to. And this is something I, I prayed about. I, you know, I've been taking road trips a lot in business, and I love it, because it's time away from, from the world, kind of, in a way, and it's time where I can talk to the Lord. And I've been, you know, frustrated because, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons that you can have to be angry at other people with what's happening in the world, right? And I could think of, you know, I do a lot of research, and I can think of a million different logical reasons why I could justify, in a worldly sense, being angry at these people, putting these people in this camp, putting those people in that camp— I could uh, win a lot of arguments on Facebook, I think, you know, if I wanted to do that, right? But I was thinking, where does that leave me? It just leaves me with a twisted gut. And where does it leave them? It leaves them totally in the dark. You know, Jesus said, you know, we are the light. You know, a city set up on a hilltop, it can't be hidden. And then he points out the irony of, you know, you light a lamp in the house and you cover it with a basket, and, and there's nothing there. So here's the point. Here's the salient point of all this. It's all about, I realized it's all about the biggest tactic of the enemy and the trap I had fallen into was self-absorption, just looking at ourselves all the time. So I'm going to tell a really quick story here about something that happened because as I was praying this, shortly after, I'm, I'm going to the UPS store, and I, it, you know, 10 minutes before I have to get the package there, the deadline comes up, and that usually never happens to me. I mean, usually I'm always on time. My wife will tell you, All right? So I pull in, so, so there's these two parking spaces here, right, so I, there's, and there's a woman that kind of comes in just after me in this van, and she kind of covers this first parking spot. So the logical spot is for her to park here, but I'm kind of there. So, but instead, I kind of cross over her to go into the, the spot that makes it easier for her but she doesn't understand, I'm trying to extend courtesy to her. She lays on the horn, she gets really upset, she's yelling. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got a lot of tension too. I mean, this would be a good excuse. I could get out and yell at her, it might feel really good. We could both yell at each other. And we would both know it's not really about this. It's about venting our last two weeks of frustration on each other, right? But the funny thing is, I get out of the car and it was just like something just changed. I just didn't, I wasn't angry at all. And I got out of the car, and she started to get really intense with me like it was going to be an argument. And she just looked at my face, and she knew something was different. It was I diffused the argument, just, and it just it wasn't me. It was—it was really was. It was he who was in me. It was. And that I said to her, I said, you know, I, honestly, I was just trying to help you. I, I wasn't trying to get in the way. That's a hard thing to say if you're, if you're angry in a way. You know, that comes across as passive-aggressive, but it didn't because it was real and authentic, and she knew it and she just melted she just softened up totally and it made me realize like the opportunity we have to be the light in this darkness and so then i started thinking about communion and i started thinking what is it really when we're eating the bread and those of you here who are here and you, and, and you saw uh, pastor clark talk about the, uh, the feast of passover we know that bread the unleavened bread unleavened re- represents sinless right leaven represents sin So when we're eating the bread, we're we're testifying to a sinless composition, a sinful, a sinless nature. And so what is the greatest tool that we have in that sinless nature when we eat the bread? The greatest tool we have is we don't have to keep looking at ourselves and focusing on ourselves. You know, and and I was thinking about it, like it frees us up and I was thinking, you know, have we really collectively in the last 2000 years, has the church really done that? Because when you do that, when you totally free yourself up, it allows you to reach out to other people It allows you to extend grace. And that's why I think communion is so much about that. Because the freedom we have in not looking at ourselves, not focusing on our sin, not doing all this stuff, not forming 40,000 different denominations, the freedom in that is massive. And that's why I think the greatest purpose of communion is, is our understanding how we're empowered to extend that grace. And you know what? The world, I would argue, has never needed it more than they do now. And I would also argue that we have never been better equipped to do it than we are now because you can only do it through the lens of grace. Because if you don't have that lens of grace, you're never going to, you're always going to be looking at yourself. You know, and that's the thing is I think about, I think about uh, just in general, it's almost like, <clears throat> the best way to put this is it's, it's, it's like people, see, what was I going to say? I had a point that I want to make. I don't want to drop my point here. Um, oh yes this is what it is, okay here's a a little metaphor I want to share with you this is something I think about a lot and it helps me kind of remember um, the importance of the power we have in not looking at ourselves and focusing on ourselves, I always think of this scenario it's like a a soldier and he's going to it's like he's going to rescue his family and his family is captured, I always picture it like they're in North Korea, they're in the worst darkest place right, and and he's totally on un- whole, He's miserable. He doesn't, he'd doesn't. he rather not live, but he has an opportunity to go save his family. All he does is train and prepare to go rescue his family, and, and, he, and, he, and he his whole focus, everything is about that. So the moment comes, he's going to rescue his family, and he gets shot in the shoulder, and immediately, 100% of his focus goes to himself. He's focused on his wound. That's all he can do. Immediately, he is eliminated from focusing on rescuing his family. To me, that bullet is like the law. It's like religion. It's It completely distracts us. It completely throws us off. And I can't think of a time where the church collectively has ever been free of that distraction, ever. I can't think of a time where that's ever happened. And that's the miracle. And that's what's so amazing about communion. So I was kind of thinking about, in this sense, the church, I feel like Paul, you know, he said, We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works. It is a gift from God. And it's like he took a baton and he cracked the ice. He cracked the ice for grace. And all of a sudden, he handed us a baton and said, here. And the church kind of really didn't do anything with that baton. I mean, we did a lot of great things, right? We clothed people, we, we sheltered people, we, we shared great messages. But, but really, if you're not acting through, through grace, if you're not acting through that lens of grace, it's nothing, it's nothing compared to what we're doing. And to be honest with you, as much as the Passover feast was a precursor to Egypt, to the Israelites going out into Egypt, quite frankly, I believe the Last Supper was a precursor to where we are right now, I believe we've never been in a place to do what we can do right now. And for me personally, I just want to spend the rest of my life. I want to grab that baton. I want to run across that field. And I want to extend our inheritance because it's about extending our inheritance. And, and so I believe, honestly, we have an opportunity to create the brightest light the world has ever seen. So when I do communion from now on, this is, just, this is what I think about. This is how I think, and this is... Uh, so I just want to sort of, I just want to sort of extend the sense of, of hope because I feel like Satan tears things down, Satan destroys, but God builds. And I really, I'm so confident God is building some amazing things. Those people are being uprooted, they're losing their jobs, they're going through really hard times, and, and there are hard times ahead, but those are seasons, those are not the permanent deal. And God's going to build some amazing things, and I think the key to it is for us to repent, to constantly change the way we process information, because if we don't do that, we're not going to understand where the church is going to the fullest extent. We're not going to catch the gravity of what God's going to do. But if we do that, if we constantly keep our mind open, we're going to catch something that's going to be amazing. And I think it's going to be beyond anything anyone has ever seen, and we have some opportunities that are, that are really fantastic. So... If you would grab this thing here, and I'm hoping that when I open this, it doesn't pop. I'm a little afraid that's gonna, in front of everyone, pop out of my shirt. So I'm gonna extend it out. The first one is the, the bread. Okay, let's start with the bread. Okay, hold up the bread, please. Lord, you said this is, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And the thing is, you know, when Moses cracked the rock, living water came out of the, the water of life came out of that rock and it nourished the Israelites. Jesus broke his body. He had his body broken and living water flows from our hearts now. And that's the tool that we can use. Because you broke your body, Lord, we have the the tools to not only no longer look at ourselves and focus on ourselves, we can put all that focus on extending the inheritance, sharing that inheritance with other people, Lord. Show us new ways to do that, Lord. And as we eat this bread, help us to remember the freedom we have and no longer looking at ourselves and the freedom we have to become full. Because loving our neighbor is on our hearts. And if we're not loving our neighbors... We're not full. We're not whole. We're unbalanced, and we're not happy. So eat the bread, please. Okay. So here's the wine. The, the juice. This is not wine. This is juice. But for those of you on live stream, if you want to have a little wine, maybe this is the opportunity. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, this is the blood of my covenant, he said. I just ask that when you, when you prepare to drink this, think about the fact that we have the opportunity to abide in the vine and that the only way to truly abide in the vine is by, is by recognizing what he did with the bread as well, representing that the, the, the blood has cleansed our sin so that we no longer have to look at ourselves so that we can now abide in the vine, so that we can reach out to others, so we cannot be that vine that grows out into the dirt and if it does, he'll he'll take us and he'll remesh us into the wine. But this is the opportunity we have. So drink the juice, please. Okay. Okay. I'd just like to pray a few things for us together. These are some prayers that... Uh, Have been heavy on my heart i have some other things that the the lord has shared with me that i don't have time to get into but i feel really strongly uh, that he gave me a word it's an adjective a literal word where the church is going it's really helped me focus on and it's made me excited about where the church is going and it's something that if i didn't blow this too bad they haven't thrown me off the stage yet so if i didn't blow this too bad i'm hoping to have the opportunity to share that with you at a later date um because there's some exciting things that he's done But I want to pray this. I'm really looking forward to praying a few things for us all together. So I want to pray here. Then I'll give some announcements real briefly. And then I have a short thing to read. Take about 20 seconds. Okay. We're getting low on time here. So, Lord, I just, I want to pray, Lord, a a psalm over us. Lord, I just pray that, um, I just want to proclaim in Jesus' name that we are like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We will bear fruit in our season and our leaves will not wither. I just pray the prayer of Jabez over us, Lord, that you will bless us indeed and expand our borders, Lord. Help us spread the influence. Help us extend grace, Lord. I pray that you'll expand our borders and keep us from harm. Keep us, protect us from evil, so that it will not harm us. Lord, I pray that you will shatter doors of bronze. I pray that you will bend their iron bars and make the rough places smooth. Lord, I pray also, Lord, that you would help this message. In, in, this thought on communion. I pray that you will sow this into people's hearts. I pray that if anyone here is thinking, myself included, keep them, keep us all from falling into the trap of thinking, oh, you know what? I need to start reaching out to people. I need to start being the light. If you're feeling feeling like that, you're, you're going down the wrong road because it's not about works. This is not a message of works. This is a message of faith. Help us just to open the, our hearts and our eyes to you. Help us just to receive what what you would have for us with this. How can we extend grace? How can we leverage the fact that we no longer have to look at ourselves? Please show us how to do that individually. I think our individual relationship is like the stripes on a zebra or the the prints on our fingers. It's so complex. And thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I just wanna also thank you for, as the world, as other countries and governments condemn and attack our nation, our faith, our families, thank you, Lord, that you have not signed off on that. Just pray that you will continue to protect us, Lord. Protect our republic, Lord, and watch over us, Lord. I pray that you will give us wisdom in our prayers and give us perspective. Amen. One thing I want to mention just, too, when I said that about, you know, how I could put together a list of ways that I could be Angry with other people. That's not a political statement, by the way. You could be a liberal or you could be a conservative and have those thoughts. These are these are not political statements. I'm I'm just merely, you know, sort of expressing what I think everyone's going through. Um, a couple announcements I want to make sure I don't screw up the announcements. Um, first of all, do I thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I wanted to emphasize if you could please look at the connection form and fill out the connection form. Um, also uh giving we've got the the boxes by the doors uh, for giving um and thank you so much to our veterans by the way thursday's veterans day so yeah we give a applause for the veterans and i'll leave with this uh i wanted to read this really briefly this is uh my favorite musician it's a guy named eric al young it's a band called future of forestry These are some words to a song I really like and they just fit so well with what we're talking about. It says, when my broken world caves in and the darkness covers over, with a love that heals, you come, you make us one. When your tenderness surrounds and your gentle whisper finds me, with a love that fills, you come, you make us one. When the beautiful unfolds and my longing touches heaven, with a love that fills, you come you make us one. You are love, you are grace, you are kindness and compassion. You are love, you are grace, you are God. Amen, that's it.